Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Because Big Mike has got the life starting now. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike. Mike Zlatnik. And today it is my pleasure and a privilege to welcome Dan Krizanovsky. Hi, Dan. Hi, Mike. Great to be here today with y'all. Thank you very much for coming on a podcast. You hail from Austin, Texas. Uh, you've been a passive investor in self-storage and many other asset classes in real estate for many years. And you have some active involvement. We'll get there in a second. You graduated from Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and Thunderbird School of Global Management. And uh, so tell us a little bit about your family first, and then a little bit about your real estate venture or adventure. Sure, absolutely. And uh, great to be here once again with everybody this afternoon. Uh, originally from Scranton, PA. So I know you spent some time on Binghamton, the uh, I-81 corridor. Uh, <laughs> I went to school in Binghamton, so I've gone through Scranton many, many times. We may have shared a beer in the 90s, you know, I remember Good Time Charlie's among some other ones that uh, we snuck our way into. But uh, yeah, Binghamton was the, the big world when you're leaving us, Scranton, back in the day. So, uh, uh, but yeah, you know, right place, right time. Uh, like many of us in my generation, uh, my parents, my dad was a high school principal. My mom was a social worker, very down the fairway, do your job, get your pension. Uh, whereas my grandparents' generation, very entrepreneurial in every way, shape or form. So Kind of with these two sides, uh, as you shared, you know, led me to Wharton, uh, went from Philadelphia, spent some time overseas in Spain, and then found myself uh, trading for Merrill Lynch on Wall Street. So a great way to start the career. And uh, as my product became commoditized, I joke if I did what I did on the debt side, we'd be on my island right now, but I probably would have caused a financial crisis. So, uh, you know, good for the soul, not as much the pocketbook. And uh like many of us, you know, already in sweatshirts and hoodies in the Northeast, uh, got a little sick of the winter, uh, moved out to Thunderbird for my master's and thereafter was with uh, General Electric. So I joke with my younger friends, colleagues, mentees that this was the Google of your days. This was the top company everybody wanted to work for. That's right. G used to be the shining star, Jack yeah. Welch and the whole school of management. This was one of the best places to go through if you wanted to be a corporate executive or a successful businessman in general. Yeah, and it was great. And we still had, you know, Jack's halo around uh, all the training and everything we did. And uh, like anything, I just felt right place, right time, uh, working in some of the capital, some of the real estate businesses, uh, you know, down in Mexico City, acquisitions on the West Coast, and just kind of dumb luck at the time, had a first taste of Austin. Uh, we, for those familiar with GE, we have a real estate and aviation division and picture them getting together. And the net result was uh, the airport real estate, specifically air cargo ports where say UPS would fly out of and drive, you know, move, move their goods. Uh, and this was a cool experience, you know, back in 07, 08, uh, spent a lot of time in South America, led to a few good wins for the company. And, you know, for me, it was a very tangible uh, view of real estate on the commercial side. So, you know, fast forward a little bit, uh, shifted in a few other capital businesses at GE. And then for, uh, you know, personal reasons, my wife is from Mexico. So, you know, it'd be a little warmer. Once again, we found ourselves back in Austin in 2011, a good decade or so before everybody else. And, uh, you know, from here, like many of us, I'd say the alternative scene, whether it's being weird, the music, or, you know, frankly, as an investor or an entrepreneur, it feels very natural in Austin. So, uh, was doing the equivalent of crowdfunding before the Jobs Act. Uh, 
was co-best men in a wedding, which led me to my first passive real estate investment. And one of my light bulb moments was learning, just as you know, Mark Halpin and many of your great guests recently, that this world of self-directed IRA and solo 401k. And this was really uh, between being tied in with different fintech and real estate tech, prop tech companies, uh, coincidentally self-storage. This was kind of the kickoff in the early 2010s of me in Austin that's led me on this journey. Yeah, I appreciate uh, that great um, little bit of a journeyman story. Uh, so that's wonderful. And Austin is a great place. It's kind of the, it's got the best of uh, the left coast and the right coast. And it's got no income taxes of California, no income taxes of New York. So from that perspective, people love it. No, it's, it's great. We're very happy and uh, fortunate to be here. That's awesome. So tell me a little bit about what are you working on right now? What are the opportunities you're exploring? Where do you see sort of the looking beyond the high interest rate environment, sure. where do you see great opportunities and what, what are you investing in today? Yeah. I mean, what I like today is are the secondary cities in Texas. So by secondary, I mean, outside of the triangle, not Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, funny enough, Austin's not part of the original triangle, but nowadays people consider it. So you're kind of in the, the secondary ish or say the next 10 or so cities that would be mentioned um, in the greater metro areas, uh, you know, some obvious ones smack dab between Austin and San Antonio is New Braunfels. There's San Marcos. You can draw a ring around both the Dallas Metro and Fort Worth Metro. Uh, many opportunities there. And uh, as, as you referenced, I mean, Texas, uh, you're seeing migration not just from the coast, but also from within Texas. Folks are saying, you know what? There's too many Teslas. Once there's more Teslas than tacos, I'm out of Austin. And they'll migrate a half hour to the north, to the south, otherwise. And, you know, many of us, uh, you know, I spend time in New York in the city. Folks coming to Texas the first time, particularly with the family, may not be familiar with the real estate market, which school, how everything works. You know, no surprise, they don't want to live in class B or C. So in the interim, is this nice class A housing. So I think folks, uh, you know, whether you're coming with a family uh, you're in the third stage of your life or right out of school, you know, as I call them, these secondaries and cities are are pretty attractive to, uh, you know, continue your journey in life. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, uh, I've been told this about Austin. You can come and visit, but please don't stay. <laughs> well, you know, Steve Adler, our, our, our old mayor, uh, you know, he jokes, he says, the, the problem isn't me or my friends. It's everybody that got here in 1979 and he says that's because he came in 1978 so every year we say it more and more and uh i i think there is some justification to it i mean kind of the the shared domain knowledge is a little bit less uh myself personally i made it a goal my first year in austin to join leadership austin which as it sounds you join different folks professionals in the community uh, not just your micro segment. So not just tech, not just corporate, not just government, but you get all together. So, you know, I, I would say, uh, you know, a challenge for folks coming to any metro is to really um, embrace it. Uh, there is a great podcast called Growth Machine. Uh, it was done this summer by our local PBS, KUTX. It's, it's phenomenal. You can do it in a round trip from Austin to Houston, about six episodes, but it takes you back for the last hundred years primarily from a real estate side, but why Austin is Austin. And then it dives deep into some fun stories. And, uh, you know, I would even argue a lot of folks that moved to Austin probably don't realize that our current mayor was our mayor in the 90s also. So that's interesting. Yeah, yeah kind of little big things like that. Uh, 
would be my, you know, my soft ass to folks that want to embrace the community, uh, particularly if you are going to move here. Makes sense. So again, specific asset classes that you're investing in. Are you investing in multifamily housing? Are you investing in storage? What, what's what, what's interesting? Obviously, demographic trend will continue that inbound population will move uh, into various parts of Texas. Obviously, Austin benefits from, let's just call it blue state migration. And then you got the uh, folks that are more conservative that go into typically Dallas, Fort Worth area. Politics aside, Texas is growing. Like for whatever reason, it's growing for many, um, there are enough drivers. People who are called want to move south and people who don't want to pay taxes, they want to move uh, to Texas. So those trends will continue. So uh, well, where do you see best opportunities today? Is it the ground up construction? Is it value add multifamily? Is it uh, what, what class, class A, class B? Uh, you mentioned uh, tertiary cities, not primary cities. And why? Why are the primary cities are too expensive? Um, I'm just curious why you like more tertiary cities and what asset classes like storage, industrial, what else? Yeah, but it'd be more secondary city. So, you know, especially Texas, uh, I think industrial is always a solid play. I mean, as you said, politics and such aside, uh, we have Mexico below us. We have ports. We have a lot of military goods are going to move and they're going to need a place. So I, I feel, uh, you know, particularly the triple net industrial I think we're in a pretty good place. I, I think you need some serious macro events to happen where an industrial would be decimated. So that's an industrial. Uh, you know, storage, I've been a fan. I was lucky enough to be the first guy with the little gray hair at Sparefoot uh, well over a decade ago. Got to meet, you know, the folks, the top 100 owner operators, uh, one gentleman who I consider the top COO. I, you know, became friendly, invested with him, introduced him to a lot of folks. He's since sold to one of the REITs. And what I realized about storage, um, you know, death, divorce, dislocation. Uh, there's a new kind of fifth or even sixth D out there. And I think one of them is just decluttering. And that's easy to think about in the world of uh, COVID. But even now, um, it's tough, especially a city like Austin. Let's talk about a primary city first, Dallas. To get the space you want uh, may not fit your budget these days. So keep the math simple. An extra bedroom might cost a thousand. Whereas a storage facility, even if it's a five by five, might cost you a hundred dollars. So whether, you know, you're shifting out your winter clothes for summer clothes, you know, skis for surfboard, whatever you want to call it, folks are in their place a little bit more. They kind of want uh, some space. They don't want to feel like they're cluttered. And, um, you know, if you read the headlines, there's different Ds that come up where storage has gone from 7% to 11% of the population. It's becoming a, a, a right of life. And, you know, even at the college level, you might have four or five fraternity brothers together. So it's not a big revenue play for the summer, but they're actually touching storage as a product very early in their life. So I think a lot of folks are getting used to it um, from that standpoint. Working backwards a little bit, uh, I think storage is a natural extension of multifamily. So, uh, you know, some of these old tertiary towns are becoming secondary. Some of these secondaries, uh, you know, over time are going to be kind of close to primary here in Texas. So, you know, I, I just look at the Austin, San Antonio corridor, San Marcos, New Braunfels. Uh, you know, this is great because let's say you one spouse works for Dell, one works for USAA. You have an equal commute, maybe less than an hour. So folks coming from New York, I used to take the train from Connecticut at times or L.A. It's kind of a reasonable deal, especially if you're only going in the office a few days a week. So, you know, with that, uh, 
I think whether it's just, you know, a nicer pool or frankly, pickleball courts, you know, folks want to feel like they have very modern amenities. So from that standpoint, uh, I, I think there's, you know, supply is going to come on uh, a little lumpy due to energy and water, water rights. So I feel there's a little more one year than kind of nothing for a year or two and then bump up a little bit. And I think we're going to see this over the 2020. So I, I'm still really bullish on, development, clean product, new product, uh, supported by the city, uh, you know, across many parts of Texas. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, the post-COVID world where commute to office um, requirements have hopefully loosened up. So you, you've gone through all the way, don't go to the office to go to three, two or three days a week to the office and many corporations are adjusting and living in between big cities somewhere uh, that that's that's been in New York. It's that's kind of the 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 name of the game. Uh, uh, just just because living in Manhattan is expensive, living in big cities in general generally expensive. You can get away half an hour, maybe an hour, uh, and just commute twice a twice a week. It's not bad at all. So from that perspective, it makes a lot of sense. Um, so quick question: Do you see um, the current environment being some kind of you know? Interest rates are high. I'm kind of looping this in. We're you know we're recording this episode uh, in the second half of October, mm -hmm. and it, it, it's it's causing grief. It's causing grief to a lot of real estate, obviously uh, on many fronts. But new construction should be significantly impacted because cost to build is cost to build, but cost of money is significantly higher. So, do you see opportunities in new construction? Are you investing in new projects? Just curious, what are you doing uh, on that front? Because you have a new build versus value add. It's always tag of war. And of course, it says storage is um, a huge, uh, it's, a, it's a supplementary or complementary asset class to multifamily. But if we're talking about um, multifamily, are you investing? Are you thinking to invest in value add? Or are you thinking to invest in uh, ground up? Are you doing anything? I'm just curious, what are you doing today? Yeah. And, you know, I'll answer as an LP. I mean, I'm, you know, full disclosure, I'm sure I'll be in the notes. I'm series seven, all that good stuff. So this is just us talking as, you know, LPs here. Um, two things. One, just from the macro, when you step back a little bit to say what's been going on the last, you know, 10, 15 years, but particularly the last two or three years before rates went up, it, it seems odd that, you know, cash, whether it was in a bond, in the bank, otherwise, was kind of in that, you know, zero to 6% range, you know, going from like cash up to CDs, bonds, and then being an LP and pretty much anything that was value add, you were getting a 20% return. That's a pretty wild delta. If you just think of a, you know, kind of just a, a normal sort of curve, it was almost like a hockey stick versus I'd say the 45 degree angle where today, um, you know, a lot of folks have their money at their fidelity account or otherwise at five or six percent, uh, you know, senior debts, uh, you know, some of the corporates out here, you're probably still sub 10. There's a mez level and then there's a pref equity. And then, uh, you know, I, I think there is uh, to give you a data point for some of us that were out, uh, I think it was Denver this year at Best Ever Conference, Joe Fairless. Uh, he has one of the longest running podcasts in our world here said, as an LP, I've invested in roughly 150 deals and a quarter to a third of mine are not only pausing distributions, but doing a capital call. And a lot of those were value add. And I know Joe spread across the country. And once again, this is six months ago. So as things have progressed, 
Um, I, I think you have to have a little more caution with the value add because I, I think the call it the modern pro form and value add assume free money, assume zero. And that's very difficult these days. And then, you know, looking even on the development side, what's beneficial? Well, if you control the team, the supplies, the cost, sounds like business 101, uh, but there's some benefits here. Um, so I, I think once again, I mean, I would say two things. One, folks that control the team, vertically integrated, folks that have been through a few cycles before, uh, you know, could be in even prior to financial crisis, even in the 90s, I think is hugely beneficial at this point um, for managing, you know, their expectations, their pro forma. Um, and like anything, if there's multiple projects at once, I think that's actually a benefit for a tenured operator. So, uh, and then final point, of course, uh, was talking this at my lunch today, the ability for the operator to be boots on the ground or get to you within a few hour, you know, a few minute or few hour drive, I think is pretty impactful. That gives a peace of mind to, um, you know, a fair number of investors today. Yeah, and I appreciate that, Dan. Uh, that last comment you just made, it's kind of absolute gold. We don't want to write any fresh checks unless somebody's vertically integrated and local. So, the 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 issue at hand is in the last few years too many people bought you know living in phoenix buying a property in atlanta and operating with third-party property management and a lot of sins and errors were forgiven because the market just kind of rose and rose and rose now sharp execution is absolutely critical if you can't execute well you can't make all these plans work and you rightfully pointed out also very very important uh uh critical paramount concept that interest rates set the level of perception. Interest rates is, is in, a, in a matter of speaking perception of risk. So the interest rates have gone up a lot. And then in a fight against inflation, if you think about this, high interest rate means the perception of risk is a lot higher. So if you're investing in an equity, uh, you better be really well compensated because 20% IRR today doesn't look the same way as 20% IRR a couple of years ago. Uh, so you need to get into projects that either have somehow stronger downside protection through some other mechanisms, or you got to have bigger upside. But uh, what do you think about this counterintuitive thought process? So uh, you have a bunch of people, like you mentioned, who have been caught, they're bleeding, death by a thousand cuts from existing investments. And, and this is the reality. Unfortunately, 95% of the value deals, I don't know the exact percentage, but pretty high borrowed with floating rate debt they just this is how they get they get financed uh, let me just talk on that as you, you take a take a breath i mean with when i look back to see who did a lot of the floating rate i would um say a lot of folks that came into this world over the last five five and change years why is that you know, they learned from somebody. It could be one of these courses you pay 25K to go through or otherwise. And, you know, the pro forma was generally zero. And if you looked at a historic deal from 2014 to 18, you know, rates were so, the base rate um, was so low that folks didn't really have this vision that it could be otherwise. And then as they say, what's it, penny wise pound foolish, you know, you, when you, somebody could have locked in fixed at three or floating 275, I know shops that I invest with, 
um, a very strong number. I think I maybe my diligence was off on one deal, but did the fixed debt because they said, well, three can go to zero, but it can go up a lot more. And then whereas the folks at two, instead of folks said, well, let me do the floating at 275, realizing 275 can go to zero, but it can go up a lot more. And when it goes up to your point, it's like an exponential pain and burden that you owe as the operator. So um, as I said, it's kind of the teacher was new, you know, they didn't do the, they didn't do the research back. And, uh, you know, some of this is just by factor of age. I always draw a triangle when I think of sponsors and I think, uh, you know, the bottom, which I like to invest with, you get your gritty sticks and bricks operators, your real savvy financers, and these two work well together. Top of the pyramid is, is your kind of, uh, you know, sat, your sizzly marketer. And you have to be a little cautious sometimes. When, as you reference, when things are good, everybody wins. Not a big deal. But now it's a bit more of a challenge. Uh, so a lot of folks, I think, yeah, the marketer said, this looks good. And let me talk about the last three years, our last five or last seven without looking to the previous cycle. So, you know, once again, I think, and this isn't just, I'd say from an age of the sponsor, but you've had other folks that said, hey, I've been in tech for 20 years, let me have my first deal. Same deal, effectively a novice out versus somebody that's been around two, three, four decades. So, you know, all else equal, I think being a bit more tenured, also in your geography, in your asset class, it, it is gonna be looked upon favorably um, now by passive investors. Yeah, thanks for, st for for stepping in and providing that, that color. Exactly, it's funny how you put it. Uh, the 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 mar brilliant marketers on top, I call them the bright and shiny object folks. They just know how to do wonderful marketing materials, and they make the numbers attractive to the investors. And um, they don't say anything at all about risk adjusted return. It's all about the top line. It's all about oh, in the past results. Well, this is what things look like in the past. Well, there's a wonderful disclaimer, right? Past results don't guarantee future performance. Past results are not indicative of future performance. Past is in the past. When the pattern breaks, it's almost like this. Everything is fine until it's not. And the longer and more you, you deviate from the mean, the reversion to the mean becomes more and more painful. So we kind of reverted to the mean, but we reverted to the mean so fast and so furious with Fed waking up that this correction is just uh, unbelievable. It feels um, extremely painful in the form of what you mentioned, suspended distributions, capital calls, right? Huge uncertainty of what the future value is because we don't know where the interest rates, where the interest rate will settle. If we knew where the interest rate would settle, at least people could price deals. They could estimate what these, these cap rates will look like, but they don't know. It's almost like this. Did the, the pattern break hard? And now we have a completely new pattern, and we don't know what the pattern is going to look like. We're in a 40 years of declining interest rates. Are we now in a 40 years of increasing interest rates, which would be hard to believe, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Or are we in a temporary adjustment, and we've picked out on the Fed funds rate increases, and uh, we're going to revert to some level of maybe something in between, between the ZERP policy and where we are right now, which feels extreme on a relative basis because it's a rate of change. It's not the absolute number. Yeah, great. And, and uh, you know, how I once can just personal view it as an LP here, I, I think we're at the new norm for a while. Uh, what do I mean by that? You know, I remember being back, uh, you know, as a kid in college, my first Roths doing CDs at the local community bank I worked at, and they were at, you know, five, six, seven, eight percent sort of rates. I, I definitely might be going a little high, more five or six for me. I don't remember double digits. My parents do, of course. And, you know, I have some of the uh, 
uh, you know, the little old school bonds on paper when I was born that that are towards that. So that said, I definitely don't see us going to zero um, anytime soon. That said, I think there's a psychological, and let's call it what it is, there's going to be a lot of political factors here why this, I don't really figure it going up to 10. So I would say, you know, what we generally experienced in the 90s, in the mid 2000s from a rate perspective is becoming the new norm, which was frankly the old norm for a while and a relatively healthy, sure, could it go down a point and that helps a lot of folks? Yeah, absolutely. But generally speaking, kind of, you know, from a base rate, from a, you know, SOFR perspective, kind of mid single digits, uh, I think that's that's healthy. I, I think, you know, historic when things have been predictable-ish and healthy-ish, it's been around this level and you know, both sides of the aisle politically, I don't think they want to see double digits, um, you know, and even across the globe, then I, I think we're in some serious inflationary issues that, you know, could spill over even even worse than what we're seeing now. So maybe I'm a little optimistic here, but I, I still like where we are now. I think as folks come back in and refresh in 24 or post-election in 25, they're going to be like, okay, this is the norm, you know, so for five or six, Let's kind of price things out accordingly, uh, while at the same time recognizing what could be some significant demographic trends. So maybe it's not just back of the napkin cap rate anymore. There's a little more thinking that goes into the price and what revenue can be derived. Yeah, I appreciate that great view. It's a cautious view. It's an uncertain view. It's kind of like we have to be dynamic and see what's going to bring. And this is hard because when you are doing a deal you're investing in lp or uh, a gp you want certainty and, and certainty is difficult to achieve this is the biggest issue what are the future valuations going to look like and when simply because you just don't know is more inflation high interest rates less inflation do you want to buy you know do you need to buy deeper and the sellers are not capitulating and that's why transaction volume is down and that's why everything is like in this state of a funk like what's going to happen next and nobody knows. So it's kind of, uh, it's very difficult to um, write a fresh check. And uh, yeah, I was just another conference and uh, I was like, you know, good friend. He, um, he is, uh, he works for Marcus and Milicep. He's a commercial broker for a lot of deals. And he said he's down 70% from last year on transaction volume. And <laughs> he, he gave me another count comment, um, which is kind of scary a little bit. And uh, I just, just want to hear your thoughts on this. So, of course, for the fresh money that gets deployed today, these super good deals, you get a distressed seller, you're a fresh investor, these opportunities should be phenomenal, very strong. At least that's the only deal that kind of transact, at least as a buyer, you want to be only in those deals. And as a seller, you got a situation where, um, boy, how do I exit these deals? Uh, what am I going to get paid for these properties? And uh, if the property is performing, it's not distressed, you, you still have the buyer's experience. He, they can't get financing at the rate they used to get. They, they have to get much lower leverage, much more equity. And uh, they, it's kind of like, when is the adjustment going to be on the, on the cap rates? Are we going to see significant cap rate expansion for most asset classes that haven't experienced that yet, meaning the price corrections? Because that that's the that's the holy grail of of uh, in order for things to transact, you need certainty. When you have no certainty, no transactions, can buy, can sell, people are paralyzed. So, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, as I said, I, I think the rest of this year is going to be pretty quiet. 
you know, and then uh, I felt, you know, I was a little optimistic this year. And I think with Silicon Valley Bank and such in March, it was just enough that it paused some people, you know, three months or maybe another three and with some of the macro recently to the year. And I know some folks, uh, you know, in an election year, they tend to hit the pause button anyway. So there's going to be a certain crop at the same time. Uh, I think folks that want to be long real estate, that it's a hard asset, particularly, you know, on the commercial side, if it is what it is like a multi um, or if it could be repurposed, you know, think of the old Kmarts that are now self-storage. I, I think in the big picture here, folks, it goes back to the, uh, you know, the neighborhood you're in. So the, the utility of this property, uh, to give you a micro example here, I had lunch with a friend today and uh, she owns a, a beach condo, you know, bought it around COVID and uh, is looking to flip it. And she's like, it was great because during COVID we can work, we can do stuff. You know, we're not seeing many interested buyers at the moment not a surprise fourth quarter folks have gone home from the beach so they're not dreaming about it and such anymore uh but i suggested i'm like hey you know you and your husband and kind of your sons uh were effectively working uh why not offer this almost as like you know a, a mini sort of we work you know instead of a short-term rental during the summer or both frankly because it's your space uh, where they are in Texas, the zoning, that's something you probably could do. So this is a very micro example where I think whether it's these guys are going to increase the rent and then over time increase the value or a buyer is going to come in uh, that is local boots on the ground that can manage it. You know, it's not a far away sort of rental. I, I think we're you're going to see some of that from the one off and folks want change. As I said, it's probably going to be the calendar change in January 1st where people say, okay, here's mortgage rates, here's this, but this is what I need for my business, for my lifestyle, and this is where we're going to. So uh, that's just some local micro that I've picked up from conversations here in Austin, in Houston, uh, and anything, you know, rest of the country in terms of, I invested in a fund, uh, a gentleman, he looks at smaller multifamilies, you know, 20 to 40 doors in Pittsburgh, in Cleveland, across the Rust Belt. And, you know, the cap rates don't have to correct, but they've been in the seven to 10 range recently, and they haven't changed since rates have gone. So, you know, with that, uh, there's a lot of money on the sidelines that has to do something. A final point just to share on this, I think the ability like to, hey, buy Vegas for a dollar. Uh, I think enough people, even if they're in a tough situation, they know to do a Google search or get a broker or put something out there to get enough bids. Whereas instead of being forced to sell at 20, 30 cents on the dollar, they might be closer to 80 or 90 just because there's so much money on the sidelines that wants to do stuff. So I think the net effect is there could be some drops, but you know, frankly, from 2020, you're probably still in the green a little bit uh, is kind of what I'm seeing here locally. That's an interesting view. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's it's kind of like, on one hand, expected to have we're expecting to have blood in the streets. On the other hand, so much money is waiting for the blood, and, and uh, is it going to be a waiting game, or as soon as some little bit of discount becomes available, that money comes in? The other quick comment I have: uh, love your comment on pickleball, um, and I, I saw repurpose of all these dysfunctional malls. But I was in California actually at a conference. Um, we had a 6.15 a.m. trip to a pickleball uh, courts and they were inside of a an old mall. So yeah. th there's definitely those opportunities that are uh, taking place. And if you are a local investor, you could actually see whatever that is. Uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, then I appreciate your wisdom. 
what's the best way for folks to reach out? They have follow-up questions, which, whichever, whatever you're comfortable to share, but if they wanted to um, connect, uh, ask yeah. you some questions. You know, LinkedIn is great. And, you know, please reference that you heard it on the Big Mike Fun podcast. Uh, and then uh, th this is a lot of letters here, but dan.krizanowski at bvcapitaltx.com is an email also. But I, I tend to be regular on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, love to continue the conversation. Yeah, I appreciate that. Let's make sure we get this in the show notes. <laughs> At least is uh, that that email. Uh, by the way, I I will give you a little feedback here. Like, if you have a long name, come up with some something like like I have bigmikefund.com, right? It's just like come up, you know, danK something.com, or, or come up yeah. with something like really, and it works. People, it's easy to remember. You know, it's funny. My first consulting website was you know danK.com, and then my friend looked at me. He's like. That's dank. And I'm like, thought back to my college days. I didn't think about that. So, you know, <laughs> I, I paid seven bucks for a domain. It happens. But, you yeah, know, I, um, at least here with my, you know, my seven-year-old, I'm going to be Coach K. I'll be known as Coach K on the basketball court, which I feel is a pretty good one after our, you know, the retired coach at Duke. And, uh, yeah, so we, we've played with the letters a lot. And uh, my son has those a little bit better. His initials are ARC. So it's kind of a good one to play with. Yeah, you, you could do talk to talk to coach k.com right so something like this and if it's available makes sense so i'll get luck with that here. <laughs> thank you appreciate you coming on a podcast appreciate you sharing the wisdom and um yeah uh best of success in your investing journey hopefully you will see some great opportunities and don't see too much blood in the street it's almost like this because we wear both hats we we manage obviously portfolios of assets and within our funds and syndications we don't want to see blood in the streets we want to deploy fresh capital. That money needs great opportunities. But the challenge is just unknown. Most of us, and, and one more comment on the kind of steady eddy Midwest. That's why I love Mid Mid Midwest. You don't see that yo-yo behavior. You don't see this volatility in the cap rates. Um, and uh, if the assets are fundamentally solid, it's only financial dislocation as a matter of a few years in theory. But we'll see. I mean, we'll see what happens. So Midwest should be steady eddy. So even cyclical markets, well, the call Austin a cyclical market. It was a rapidly growing market. It's been some correction in Austin, but what's going to happen on a forward basis, right? Maybe it's it's still a rapid growth, just just a, with a little bit of an adjustment, right? So, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fund book, head to BigMikeFun.com or visit Amazon and type Mike Slotnick. Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.